Hey everyone, I'm Kelly Barron's Brink from True Crime IRL. And I'm going to tell you a story about a murder that happened in 1996 in West Cork, Ireland. A French woman named Sophie Giscon de Plantier was found dead, beaten to death in the driveway of the countryside home she owned there. Sophie lived in Cork part-time and spent much of her life there in an effort to sort of get away from the limelight that she was in in France, being married to a famous film producer there. Very quickly, the focus of the investigation turned to one man, journalist Ian Bailey, who covered the case and was one of the first reporters on the scene. The Ireland government has never charged Bailey with any crime. However, in France, they did. And he was sentenced to 25 years in French prison for Sophie's murder, but he's never been extradited back to France to serve that sentence. And this is what we're going to discuss today. Welcome to the show, Elisa Rose. And Elisa is one of Ian Bailey's most outspoken advocates for his innocence. So she's going to talk to us about the case today, a little bit about her background ground and how she became affiliated with all of this. So welcome, Elisa. I'm glad to have you here. So yeah, why don't you introduce my audience to you and um, tell us a little bit about your background? Well, thank you very much for having me. So yeah, I've been working in the media and in one way or another for about 30 years. I got into the media, I wanted to be a singer actually, but um, I didn't make it as a singer. So I had to look for another career option. So I've always been very fascinated with not listening to the news or reading the news, but making news. So I decided that I would become a publicist. So, so that's what I did. I have a background of, shall we say, um, creating controversial stories, maybe wacky and off the wall kind of publicity stunts. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of my speciality and I'm known for it. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Um, I, I would love one, to hear more about all that. <laughs> yeah, one such that I suppose that the most famous one is the uh, ghost pirate story and people can Google it if they want. That went yes. viral, I think, 15 million views. Yes. On, on, on one uh, on one video so yeah but there's there's been several smaller yeah. scale ones so to, to put that in perspective that is like one facet of my work but I'm also an activist so and this is probably the end of me I suppose as a part of me that people don't know as much so I mean I do take on serious you know serious cases as well I've done one about um, sudden infant death syndrome I've worked on one to do with puppy farming puppy mills I've done a huge one about ageism for which I got a hundred thousand supporters for that one. Um, oh. a, a lady, um, an Irish celebrity had been fired from a TV show because of her age. Okay. So we started a big anti-aging campaign, you know, I suppose focused at women, uh, women of a certain age and the entertainment That's business. Great. Um, but yes, I need, I want a lot of more light shed on that topic. I think that's really important, actually. You know, the clock's only moving in one direction. As exactly. You know, so we're, all, we're all getting there, you know, yep. at our own pace. Yep. So, I mean, that was a huge one. So, I mean, yeah, I've done serious campaigns as well. But again, I'm kind of more known for, for the for the wacky stuff which honestly was great and it's fun at the time especially when you're younger but Mm -hmm. again as you get older and more mature you want to be recognized for your serious accomplishments yep 
more so than all the silly yes. crazy yes. stuff that you did. I stumbled on this case kind of by accident, in fairness, because it was locked down, you know, as you can imagine, there wasn't really a lot happening in the entertainment business um, yes. with artists or events or anything like that. So um, after several months, I was kind of bored, I guess. And uh, I decided that I was going to put a bit of work into my own YouTube channel, which it's called Elisa Rose, if anybody wants to look it up. I yes. don't have that many subscribers yet because it's only in, in its infancy. Although I have the YouTube channel many years, I never really put any videos on it. So I just used it for I research. So I was just making random videos, I guess, about things that um, had affected me in my life. I was a victim of Munchausen syndrome when I was a child. So I did a video about that and it's left me suffering with anxiety as I got older. So I made a video about that and I made one about menopause and I mean, it got to the point where I didn't have any more medical conditions really to make videos about. <laughs> so I needed well, some other good. content. <laughs> yes. I needed, I needed other content. So like yourself, I'm sure I'm very interested in true crime. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff about um, very famous cases in America, like Elisa Lam and, you know, my kind oh, of namesake. Yes. So to yes. speak. Even <laughs> some famous um, White House Farm, the Moore's Murders, English ones. I, I searched long and hard and Netflix and, and Amazon video. And I really couldn't find much about Irish crime. So I was like, hmm, that's something maybe that's not really being explored. Now, this mm-hmm. is before the two documentaries that are yes. out now. And I wanted, yeah, I wanted to talk about those two. We'll talk about those here in a little bit. There's a Netflix documentary and then another one. And they're kind of um, a little bit biased, I would say. Maybe at least the the Netflix one is a little bit, I think. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we can talk about them for sure. So I did, um, at this point, I think I was going to do 10 or 12. So I had had done my 10 or 12 and I picked some well-known Irish murders and missing people's cases and then some not so well-known. Um, so I had more or less kind of wrapped it up and we were coming out of lockdown when, as you say, it was actually my father. He said to me, have you done one about Sophie Tosk and the Panty? And I was like, no, I am familiar with the case, but I actually haven't done one on that. And he was like, you know, there's um, there's a new documentary. He 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 directed me to the Sky one first, which is the yeah. Jim Sheridan one. Yeah. Um. So he said, you know, there's a great one. I watched it. It's really good. You'll love it because he yep. knows I'm into all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. So he's like, you'll absolutely love it. He said, I binge watched it. So I was like, well, I was really excited. You know, this yeah. is I'm looking forward to watching this. So you know, sat down and put it on. And like he said, I was kind of hooked, and I just binge oh, yeah. watched it over two nights. There's five parts. <laughs> so coming away from that documentary, I very much felt that the suspect, who's called Dean Bailey, and we'll go into a bit about that a little later. But I felt very much that he was innocent. But I didn't feel that passionately about it. It's like watching anything else on Netflix. It's like, yeah, yeah, I think he's innocent or whatever. And just, you know, move it on. So then I discovered there's actually one just came out on Netflix as well. And I was like, well, that's a bit odd to have two on two major platforms at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I said, right, sure, I'll just stick on the Netflix one. If it's exactly the same as the other one, you know, I don't really have to bother watching it. So I stuck it on. I suppose within the first episode, what really struck me is that it was coming at it from a completely different angle. Mm-hmm. And this fascinated me because obviously publicity is all about creating angles. Mm-hmm. So that, that's how you create a story or create controversy. You need to look for an angle. Mm-hmm. So the fact that this was coming 
this was presenting an entirely different set of circumstances really to you. So if you watch the Netflix one first, mm-hmm. you would have possibly potentially came away with a completely different take on the whole thing. Yeah. So yeah. this really fascinated me. So of course I watched the rest of it. And of course at the end of the Netflix while I'm here, hmm, I don't know now. Maybe yeah, because he is guilty. The Netflix one definitely kind of steers you into that direction, pointing more yeah. towards Ian Bailey's guilt. I actually have not had the chance to watch the Sky documentary yet. Um, where can I find that? Actually, I do want to know where I can find that one. It was actually supposed to be out on NBC this okay. month, but for some reason I've been told there's a bit of a delay on it. So I'm not sure when it's coming out now, but it is okay. it will be coming out in America, but okay. it's not yeah. out yet. So that one's been I'm harder hoping. for me to find, but the Netflix one is like, you know, easy to find for anyone who wants to watch it, but it is like I said, kind of one-sided. So beware of that. <laughs> yes. Beware of that. So, um, so yeah, so now I'm sitting here like with the same murder case on one hand saying, I don't think he did it. On the other hand, I'm saying, yeah, I think he did it. So yeah. I was like, well, I have to look more into this now because I don't like uh, inconclusiveness. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so yep. I looked to see kind of what information research material was out there and I came across a West Corp podcast. Now that is something that you should be able to access. Yep. It's all oh, audible. Yep. And, um, Definitely. Yeah. Yep. So that's very, very detailed. So I started listening to that and that is very, very detailed. So again, after listening to that, I was very much coming away with the feeling that he was innocent. Yes. At this point, I said, you know, I've done so much research and spent so many hours of my life watching all this. I think I'm just going to make a YouTube video, but more of a reaction video, if that makes sense. Yes. Because there was no need for me to really tell everybody about the case because it was out there so much and in Ireland it's in the papers nearly every day that case I really need to explain people so I kind of did more theory type of video you know Mm -hmm. where I kind of you know did a reaction on it and give my own thoughts and theories on the case as it went along yeah so obviously my theory was very much based around the fact that I didn't think he he was he was guilty at this point after doing a lot more research apart from the Netflix thing yeah so when I had it all done, I decided that for some strange reason, I don't even know really why, because I'm not really the type of person that would normally just kind of add random people on Facebook. Yeah. I just kind of said, look, I have a lot of theories in this in, in this video. And, and I suppose, to be honest with you, I did feel a kind of empathy with Ian Bailey. And mm-hmm. I'll go into that, I guess, in a second. Yep. So I reached out to him and I sent him a friend request on Facebook with just a little message telling him that I thought he was innocent and I made a Facebook video. Uh, not, sorry, not a Facebook video. I'd made a YouTube video about it. Mm-hmm. I didn't really even think probably that he would actually accept the friend request because I'm sure he gets a lot of crazy people yeah. adding him. And stuff. Mm-hmm. So, But he did and he replied back and thanked me. I thought of the idea about the campaign that I'd ran before, particularly the one about ageism that I've mentioned. Um, because that garnered a huge amount of publicity and mm-hmm. it was a very successful campaign. So I just happened to, you know, because we were messaging back and forth and I just happened to say, oh, do you remember the Linda Martin or the Linda, Linda's the Star campaign? Because mm-hmm. it was me that ran that. And he said, mm, I think I might remember. He didn't really know a lot about it. So I explained to him what we did and how we ran it. And I was like, what would you think maybe about running a campaign, you know, for you? Mm-hmm. And then he was well, yeah, you know, I like the idea. Yeah. So I just said straight out to him because I'm a pretty straight talking <laughs> person and I just yes, you are. Say it straight out. So <laughs> I said, you know, well, what do you want? What is it that you want to happen? 
And he said, well, I'd like to see a reinvestigation. Well, actually, at the time, he said, I'd like the cold case reopened. But since then, we have spoken to the police and um, they have actually informed us that it is not a cold case, that it is still considered an active investigation. So mm-hmm. we kind of have to change the wording to make it a reinvestigation rather than a cold case investigation mm-hmm. because it, that the wording was slightly inaccurate. Okay. So he wanted a, a reinvestigation from the get-go, right? Mm-hmm. Go right back to the beginning and start all over again, so to speak, as yeah. best you can after 25 years. Yeah. So I said, right, okay, let's do it. Yeah. So that's where the campaign sprang from. So I suppose to talk about maybe the empathy end of things. So to go back, I suppose, to the empathy end of things, and, and maybe the reason why I felt like I wanted to run a campaign for Ian Bailey, as opposed to many other people who've been convicted wrongly of crimes, and we yeah. all know, I mean, there's there's loads of people. I've, I've reached out to an organization called Falsely Accused Day, and they 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 um, do a lot of work trying to raise awareness of people that are falsely accused. And it, it's not a terribly rare thing. It happens a lot. Oh, it happens um, a lot. Like it's in the US, it happens a lot. The reason I suppose why I felt maybe that I wanted to do this for Ian Bailey more so than some random person was because a lot of the reason, and I suppose we'll get into that when we start to talk about the case, mm-hmm. a lot of the reason I feel why Ian was blamed for this crime and why he has continued to receive a lot of the hate that he gets is because Ian is not neurotypical. He's, and he would admit himself, I'm not saying this, I would say this to his face, he's eccentric. He's yes. quite eccentric. Yes. And I know what it's like, particularly, I know what it's like now, but imagine going back to 1996, in Ireland, in a Definitely. super rural community, mm-hmm. and to be eccentric. Well, you could consider it like a lunatic, you know. Oh, totally. I'm yes. There, like, I'm eccentric. I'm different. You yeah. know, I'm I'm not neurotypical, and anybody who who knows me or familiar with like lots of the stuff I did will know that I'm not. So I've yes. been there, done that, and this is in a, like for me, it was 2017 and 18. Mm-hmm. I mean. So you're talking about going back to 1996. I can imagine what it would have been like for him. Mm-hmm. So I suppose because of that, I kind of maybe felt a little bit of a parallel situation. Okay, thankfully, I never, you know, I, I never got accused of a murder. But had there yeah. been a murder in the village where I was living, I'm pretty yeah. sure they probably would have thought that I did it because yeah. they thought I was a devil worshiper. We like you were, so you were the witch of the like yeah. the Salem witch trials. Like you would have been yeah. burned at the stake figuratively. But yes, absolutely, I understand what you absolutely. mean. Yep. yep. And we actually had a party in, in the house for one of my daughter's sixteenth birthdays, and we had a Deadpool impersonator. Oh. And they actually rang the police and said that I had a paramilitary in my house, and it was a Deadpool impersonator. Oh my gosh! Uh, so you know, we had the helicopter up over the house and piles of cop cars like arriving with their servants around the house for a Deadpool impersonator. That's ridiculous. So it happens. So do you want to talk a little bit about the actual crime that happened in West Cork in 1996? Maybe just fill people in if they haven't seen the documentary. So it was December 23rd, 1996, like I said before in the intro. And Sophie, she was from France. She was married to a really high profile film director from France, um, but she didn't like being in the limelight. She didn't like all the attention that that garnered and she would 
have her holidays in West Cork. She bought a home there kind of in the countryside. She liked that quiet life. She spent a lot of her time in West Cork. That's just where she liked to be. But December 23rd, 1996, she would be found dead in her driveway. She had been beaten to death brutally. And um, they didn't have a lot of suspects at first. It didn't sound like they did interview people, but this is like a really small community. Am I right? Nothing like that had ever really happened before yeah it had been a hundred years since there had been a crime a murder it's not a crime a murder wow in that area hundred years since there had been a murder wow so as you can imagine the local police had no idea how to investigate a murder no No. and of course it's the day before christmas so the Mm -hmm. whole forensic team which were in dublin they were the nearest team they were in dublin it took a whole day for them geography knows at that time there was no motorways you're talking about maybe six, seven, eight hour drive from Dublin to get down to this remote area. Yeah. And I read it but took what? like 28 hours later, they finally showed up and they had left her body out in the, in elements. the elements. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. whole time. Yeah. yeah. They couldn't even ascertain the time of death or anything mm-hmm. accurately because it did take them over 24 hours to get down because yeah. they had been all out for a birthday party and a Christmas party and all this. So yeah. by the time they got down there, I mean, there was very little to be found in the way of forensic evidence. Yeah. Having said that, they did find some fingerprints. They found some hair on her and they found a little tiny spot of DNA on one of her boots. Okay. Um, but apart from that, very, very little. They, they did not preserve the evidence properly. There, there was a whole gate, like a massive, huge farm gate that had blood on it that just kind of yes. disappeared and nobody yep. really knows what happened to it. Yep, um, and there well. was a lot of miscommunication, like about the black coat is a big thing on Netflix. So the black coat, apparently, um, Ian used to wear this long black coat all the time. Yes. And apparently there, there was evidence given by one person who said that they had seen it soaking in bleach all over Christmas because they had stayed at Ian's home. Okay. Uh, but yet he's seen in a video wearing it on Christmas Day. No, um, that doesn't add then, up. It doesn't add up. No. Of course not. And then in another part of the documentary, you have a police officer saying, we searched the house. We never found the coat. We believe he burned it. But then later on, you see some um, files of evidence and you see clearly that it has been documented that this coat was actually found. And that it had been cut up and sent away for DNA to see if there was a DNA match with the tiny bit that they found. And it didn't match. Mm-hmm. So you've got okay. like a lot of miscommunication here between yes. different departments because they didn't just they just know what they were doing. They just they didn't know. They did not have the experience that they needed for that kind of crime. Yeah. No, they didn't. In the beginning, they had absolutely no idea why anybody wanted to kill her. You know, she seemed to be like well liked in the look in the locality. Um mm-hmm. there was some talk of marriage issues but um, the husband was ruled out because he had an alibi she had a previous lover who was ruled out um, Mm and because he also had an alibi Mm -hmm. it was considered that perhaps it was a higher execution because the husband was to gain a large insurance policy and Mm -hmm. the rumors that he was having an affair Yes. And now bear in mind, I think she was certainly not his first wife. She could have been a second or third or maybe even fourth wife. I don't know. He had yeah. a bit of a history for having yep. a lot of wife. Yes. Um, but the police ruled that out because they said a hired executioner would not have found the house because it was in such a remote area. But I don't see how you can rule something out that easily because if you're paying somebody... I don't know how much hired executions cost, but I can imagine I would they don't think come they cheap. cost a lot. I would think they, they pay they a pretty penny cheap. for that. Yeah. 
Exactly. So if you're paying somebody that amount of money, they are going to make it their business to find out where that person lives. Yes. That's the job. I'm, and, so, and everyone in the area knew kind of where her home was. I, I think it would be pretty easy to find find her. Yes. And she had been out and about and in the pub. I mean, she could have been easily followed. Yeah. There yep. was another case that um, early that morning, now when they did the postmortem, they found like breakfast cereal, like muesli in her in her stomach which would indicate that she had been killed in the morning as opposed to being killed you know during the night yes um but again they could not ascertain it at the time of death but early that morning around seven half seven in the morning somebody that was driving to work had been overtaken at great speed by a blue fiesta and that would have been unusual for people to be driving that erratically at that hour of the morning in that country area and they even remembered part of the number plate of the car and okay. he went to the police. They never even explored that avenue. So there's loads of leads that they never bothered to explore because yeah. very early on in the investigation, they decided that it was definitely Ian Bailey and they put all their resources into trying to ensure they had enough evidence to prove it was him. Yes. So they didn't really explore any of the other things. And that's part of the reason why I have an issue and why I say it needs to be reinvestigated because all of the other things that were not investigated, they need to go back and start looking at them. And I know it's going to be really hard after 25 years and there may not be a conclusion. It's too long, but at least it does give Ian Bailey reasonable doubt. Exactly. And I think you need to look into these things further. I mean, so many years have gone by. Um, Technology has improved. There are a lot of other things that were overlooked. And I, I just think Definitely, they owe it to him to take another look at it with fresh eyes. I think it always helps, you know, to have a new set of eyes look at things when decades have gone Absolutely. by. Absolutely. I mean, look how many cold cases have been solved by reopening them after many years. And as you said, a fresh pair of eyes on them. You know, there's been loads of developments in forensics. I mean, they do have a piece of DNA that was too small to use back then. But it probably wouldn't be too small now. Now they, they could need very yes. much DNA. They could now, work with Ian it now. Did voluntarily give his DNA back then. Yep. He he wasn't forced before he was even ever arrested. He volunteered his DNA, and it didn't match at the time anything that they had. And he is absolutely positive that even with the uh, the, the advancements, he's mm-hmm. positive that his DNA will not match. And another thing I would say to people is when I asked him. I suppose maybe it was a little bit of a test. What do you want? And yeah. he said, you know, I want to clear my name. I wanted to be reinvestigated. Now, if the person really thought that there was some possibility that they could be caught for this or they could be found guilty of this, yep. why would they want the case reinvestigated? To me, that doesn't make logical sense. You just let sleeping no. dogs lie, wouldn't you? I, I feel you know? like, yes, exactly. He wouldn't, he would just, you know, he's living his life. He's not in prison right now. You would think no. he would just disappear quietly and let it go, but he's not doing that. He's outspoken no. about his innocence. He wants his name cleared. He wants to be vindicated. And that, you know, that says a lot, I think. Yeah. Well, to me, it does. And especially wanting it to be reinvestigated because I mean, imagine if you, had committed that crime then you you know the forensics have came on so far and you're like i i mean maybe there was just a little strand of dna there you wouldn't right. want them to go back and comb over everything no. again you really wouldn't just no no case. right no yep and he's been That's very cooperative which 
it says a lot on his behalf as well so yeah yeah so i suppose maybe to tell people a little bit about why ian bailey got the blame i suppose is is maybe the next thing that we should look at ian was uh british he was english he's not irish um at that time there was still a little bit well maybe more than a little bit animosity between ireland and england because of the division um, of northern ireland um, that's that's something a lot of americans don't know a whole lot about but um, okay. i've been learning that as i've been podcasting with other people in ireland and other places so yeah that they're definitely i suppose to, 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 yeah. to, to simplify it ireland had been taken over and ruled by the uk and mm-hmm. um, for mm-hmm. many years there was civil war for a very very long time and eventually they they came to an agreement where there would be 26 counties which are kind of like states mm-hmm. that would be, become the republic of ireland and the Britain or the UK would keep six counties or six states and they would remain part of the UK. And that's called yeah. Northern Ireland. The other is Southern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Yeah. Now, Northern Ireland is divided. So you've got people who want to remain part of the British Union and there's people who want to, to, to be in the Republic. So you've still got rivalry and you've still got friction there, even to this day. But mm-hmm. back in 1996, it would have been a lot fresher and rawer than mm-hmm. what it is now. Obviously, with the new generations coming up, people are getting different priorities and it's not as important to many people as it was back then. Mm-hmm. So Ian had been living his life over in the UK. As I said, he was from there. He'd been married. Marriage hadn't worked out. It'd been quite acrimonious and he was just going through a tough time. He was a journalist, um, an investigative journalist and very well known, very well respected and apparently top of his field in, yeah. in, in, in the area that he was working in. Yep. But when everything, when the marriage and everything broke down, he kind of lost his way, I suppose. It's maybe the nice way of putting that. He just was a bit lost. Mm-hmm. So he had holidayed over in West Cork a couple of times. And like Sophie, had fallen in love with the place. Mm-hmm. And he had decided that he was going to just take a break from his life and just move over to West Cork. I don't know at that point if he had intended that it was going to be forever or maybe for just a few years. I know he wanted to, to write poetry and he wanted to write a couple of books of poetry. So I think that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to take a couple of years out of his life, move over, write some poetry, I guess, maybe and see where his journey took him. Yeah, um, yeah. So kind of reinventing he, himself a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So he moved over to West Court. Now, Ian had, had always been a little bit eccentric in his dress. So he used to wear long black clothes, big hats, scarves, <laughs> bandanas, you know, maybe a bit of kind of Johnny Cash going on, a little bit of John Wayne. You I can know, relate to that. Cowboy look. <laughs> You know, with, you know, we can relate to that with our tattoos and everything, right? And wearing black and stuff. But yeah, yeah, I can I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, but I suppose he would have been, you know, well, I suppose maybe back in 1996, like, yes. you know, woman very with different. Completely tattooed arms maybe wouldn't have been like, yeah, you know, very yeah. acceptable. It's a lot more, um, you know, yeah. normal in a way, normal. Yeah. Like. yeah. But back in 1996, Ian. To be honest, the way he dresses is still a little bit eccentric, but yeah. even by today's standards. <laughs> so you rewind to 1996 and here Cowboy comes into town, yes. you know, and yep. they're all like, who's <laughs> this? You know, who does he think he is? You yeah. Know? yeah. And uh, he's he's very tall. He's six foot four. So he's okay. like towering over everybody. He's got a very loud voice. He talks very loudly. So here he is like coming in here, like with his like cowboy look and he's like so tall and 
he's going into the pubs and he's standing there who wants a poem you know and he starts <laughs> reading off his poetry and everybody is like you know this small little farming small community they're like who yeah, are I you? Know. I don't want to curse, yes. but they're like, what yes. the F is yeah. this, you know? Yeah. Oh, you can, you can curse. That's fine. Oh, yep. Right. You don't want to demonetize <laughs> no, you, but no. yeah, they're like, I gotcha. you know, and um, so, so yeah, let's put it like this. He didn't try to fit in. He no. has always been himself. Him. He's never tried to change. And why should he change? Yeah. You know, good for him. Yes. Himself. I love a that. lot of people that had moved there, you know, did try to fit in, but he just didn't. He was like, mm -hmm. I'm me, take me as I am. You know, yes. I don't care. Yep. So he didn't do things to endear himself to people. People thought he was arrogant, theatrical, full of himself, you know, narcissistic is another word that's yeah. thrown around. So people yeah. didn't like him. Yeah. And, you know, while people are perfectly entitled not to like everybody, you know, you can't, that doesn't make you a murderer just because, no. you know, you're loud or arrogant or whatever. Yes. yes. So, um, a lot of rumors started to go around the place. And again, you know, I know how this happens. Ireland is shocking for gossip and rumors. So there was rumors that he had naked poetry readings on the beach, um, you know, where he's reading to like poetry to 10 naked ladies. Well, actually 10 naked lesbians was said. Okay. I think they were lesbians, I'm not really sure. Like, because honestly, the last place you'd find lesbians is hanging around the naked man, really. But um, <laughs> that is a good point there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real life. But, um, you know, so some guy um, watched too much Pornhub, I think, you know, or oh something my gosh, and just got yes. that idea in his head, you know. Another one was that he howled at the moon and people I heard him going out when there was a full moon and, you know, there was rumors that he thought he was a werewolf. Yeah. Like yep. crazy stuff. <laughs> but um, that does not make you know, someone a murderer. If you've never spoken to a person and you're reading this, I mean, before I spoke to him, I read all, all of this. And I, when I got to talk to him, I was like, is he really this crazy? Like, you know, and even though you know, being crazy just still doesn't make you a murderer. Right. You know, exactly. but I was expecting him to be actually a lot more eccentric than he is, really. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I mean, all of these rumors started to fly around. So after Sophie's death, the police, again, like we said, they didn't have a clue. So they'd yep. ruled out the husband and the hired executioner. They didn't bother following the car because I guess they didn't really know how to do that. Yeah. So they started asking around the locals who he might have done it, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, anybody that would have had a motive or blah, blah, blah. So the name that they kept getting up again, again, for some odd man who lives in the town, who runs around with naked lesbians, who howls at the moon, who's like very tall, he'd be tall enough and strong enough to do it. And his yeah. name seemed failing. Yeah. So that's really, again, it was gossip and innuendo. That, yes. that first brought him into the picture. Definitely. What didn't help as well is that, uh, like I said, Ian's an investigative journalist. Mm -hmm. So the, there was no journalist in that little small rural area. So as soon as this story hit, and it was big news at the time in Ireland, um, the papers in Dublin wanted a journalist close to ground zero. So they were, they, they knew of yeah. Ian. Yeah. So they had contacted Ian and said look can you get us some stories do a bit of digging around you know that's what you do as an investigative journalist so yeah. he was like yeah okay yeah sure I'll do it yeah. so he kind of inserted himself into the story so he was up at the crime scene he was going around our house looking in the windows to see could he get anything you know that you know that he could get his exclusive 
He did exactly what an investigative journalist is supposed to do. A good one. He did his job well, and he was the first one on the scene, basically. And he started covering the case very in depth. That is Mm -hmm. what he was supposed to be doing. So he was doing what he was there to do. Yeah, exactly. And I find even now working in the media, ordinary people don't really get the media. You know, they take everything at face value. They they take everything very literally that they see on TV. They don't realize that reality TV really isn't reality TV to, oh, in yeah. the most part. Yeah. So they, they're kind of seeing enough of the case, uh, up at the crime scene. And they don't really know that what an investigation journalist is supposed to do. They see them looking in the windows and trying right. you know, to ask questions and they're like, mm, that's suspicious. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, so, so again, this kind of all fed more into the fact that you know was definitely him so mm-hmm. within a few weeks the guards had absolutely 100% decided that, that that it was Ian and they set all their resources into trying to prove that it was him when it came to kind of be known that he was a suspect the editor of the newspaper that he was writing for rang him one day and said to him Ian do you know that you're actually suspecting this yeah. and he was very shocked because I will say that Ian is not very good at picking up on social cues. Um, now he's never been diagnosed, uh, you know, as being non-neurotypical or whatever. But yep. he is—he—he he doesn't have a filter. Uh, he's quite a dark sense of humor, and he's not good at picking up on social cues. Gotcha. So he yeah. thought it was so ludicrous. Um, he was like, "Yeah, of course I did it. I needed a story." And that's a joke. I personally think that's hilarious. When I heard that on the I think I don't know if it was Jim Sheridan or Netflix. Like I first I love because I've got a very dark sense of humor. I mean too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I have a very, very dark sense of humor. As a Um, true crime podcaster, how many I've made lots of jokes like that, exactly the same. So yes. Yep. Unfortunately, other people had heard this and they went to the guards and said, look, he's made a confession. He said he did it for a story. So then they arrested him and they said, look, you've confessed this crimes. You needed a story. And he's like, that was a joke. And they were like, mm, was it a joke? Mm, I don't think that was a joke. So they took it as a confession. And another, he, he had said something else about another black joke about bashing her head into some other guy who also mm-hmm. went to the police and said, look, you know, I mean, yes, in bad taste, perhaps that one particularly was in bad taste. Um, yeah. But again, it, you know, it doesn't it make was it a, It was a joke. Yeah, maybe not the best. No but, matter yeah. how, how much yeah. in bad taste. Yeah, yeah. So he was arrested um, a couple of times and they started to build up a case. Like I said, you know, mostly meta gossip and innuendo, you know, um, Mary down the road said she saw him doing this and Jim up the road said this. And they had multitudes, like multitudes of witness statements talking about how crazy he was. And then I suppose the, the, the biggest one, and this is probably the most famous witness statement in the whole thing, is Marie Farrell. Um, Marie Farrell um, was a married woman who owned a shop in the town. And she had initially gone to the guards and said that she had seen a man Sophie had been in her shop the day before she died and she had seen a man wearing a long black coat across the road, almost stalking Sophie or certainly watching her. He had solo skin. He was about five foot eight wearing a beret. Now, of course, berets are very connected to France. So I yeah. mean, the first thing I think if she said to me, I saw a man that's kind of, you know, solo skin with a beret, I think 
that sounds like a French dude. Absolutely. You know, I'm a baby yeah. here, you know? Yeah. Plus so he's about a, fo- a foot too short almost, right? He, absolutely, I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's far too short. Yeah. Um, so she gone to the police with this. Then she had actually been out with a man who wasn't her husband the night that Sophie died. Yeah. And she's been driving this. along this road. And there's a bridge called Kailfather Bridge. Mm-hmm. And she claims to have seen a man in a long dark coat, um, similar to the man she saw in the shop, um, kind of almost standing by the bridge, almost as if he was washing himself or doing something shady anyway, yeah. shall we say. Yeah. So um, so I'm not going to go into a whole story, but, you know, she'd yeah. lied to the police and given false identities and all because she didn't want her husband to know she'd been out with another man. But mm-hmm. anyway, they tracked her down and... Um, they, they found out it was her. Now, initially, she didn't say it was Ian Bailey. She was describing a different, this different, I suppose, yeah. description. The only thing that really linked them was the long black coat. Yeah. But the police started telling her, look, we know it's definitely Ian Bailey. We have all these witness statements. Like, we just need to place him near the crime. You can do that with this bridge story. So, you know, just sign here that it was Ian Bailey because we're sure. So they, they kind yeah. of talked her. They, they also bribed her with, um, her husband had some driving offences that they said that they would drop as well if she went along oh, with it. So, that's, so yeah. she signed a statement to say it was Ian Bailey. Mm-hmm. Now, she kept this up like for years, like for 10 years. And then after 10 years, she finally decided that she couldn't live with herself anymore. So she came out and she told everybody it was bullshit. Oh. That not, it wasn't true at all. She had wow. been the man, but the original statement that she'd given of the different description was yeah. the truth. Yeah. And she was absolutely sure it wasn't Ian Bailey. Wow, wow. So earth shattering. Anyway, we'll rewind just a little bit here because all of these witnesses, including this one now, before she retracted it or anything, all of this was sent to the DPP, which is the Department of Public Prosecutions here. Mm-hmm. So this had all gone to them twice. And twice they threw it out. They said, there's no evidence. Circumstantial. There's absolutely no evidence here to try this man. Mm-hmm. We're not taking it to try mm-hmm. So they just dropped it. Um, yeah. But what happened, um, and again, people who watched the documentary will know this. Sophie had a teenage son. He grew up. Yeah. yeah. So fast forward, you know, 20 years later, the son is not really letting go of this and you mm-hmm. can certainly understand that he lost yeah. his mother at a young age you know Very he tragic. wants answers he wants closure he's not getting it yeah so he starts to put a lot of pressure on the french mm-hmm. to launch their own investigation mm-hmm. so eventually the french requested the guard the files from the irish state and they they were given them yeah but the issue that i have with that is that they were given the original files Okay. including the statement by Marie Farrell, which had since been retracted. Yes. Um, That's a all problem. the innuendo about him messing around with naked women, howling yeah. at the moon, and all this crazy, crazy stuff that anybody who's reading this who's never spoken to Ian is going to be reading this. And it's painted a pretty crazy picture, a pretty it, bleak picture. A right. picture of perhaps a man who is insane enough to be able to do this crime. But that stuff uh, really doesn't belong in a crime report, um, a murder file. Like it doesn't really belong there. I don't. I don't feel like stuff no, about his. No, because it doesn't. connect. Does not know, make it, him a murderer. Right. You know. Yeah. Um. There's no evidence to prove that he ever even knew Sophie or spoke to her right. apart from seeing her at a distance. So really, um, so they were just 
incriminating him with personal details that were, yeah. you know, eccentric and things like that, things that were not the norm, just kind of painting him in a very bad light. Yes. And apparently, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so the French are seeing all of this and they're reading all of this and the, the more they're reading about this, the more they're getting convinced there's nobody else could have done it. It must be him, just the guards mm-hmm. didn't have enough evidence. Yeah. So in France, and this is the thing that I suppose that is most unique to this case, that in France, they have a law, it dates back to the time of Napoleon, whereby if a French citizen is murdered anywhere in the world, okay. that they can try the suspect in France. Okay. But not only can they try the suspect in France, they can try that person in absentia. So that person does not even have to be at their own trial. I wondered and, how that came into play. I didn't know that because how could he be convicted if he wasn't even at the trial? I kept wondering that. Yeah. So that's where it's at. Okay. The trial. They also accept things like hearsay because um, in that kind of trial, it's also known as an intimate trial. You've got three judges and they base their decision not on hard evidence, mm-hmm. but on their own feelings, whether the person did it or not. So that kind of is totally contrary to the model of innocent until proven guilty and beyond reasonable doubt which is a model we work on here and there yes and here too i mean that would never fly in the united states that would have never happened no that's a little crazy and we're not talking about some remote island here we're talking about a first world country right exactly i this can take place in progressive modern country if, if it happened in some island you know in the caribbean i'd right. say yeah maybe so or whatever but like honestly like this is a big country this is not somewhere that has tribal law that puts it into so much better perspective for me because i was thinking well he's been convicted of the murder but really i would not call that a trial like as i know a trial in the united states yeah. or anywhere else that's really not much of a trial so yeah well absolutely I mean that's the way I would say it you know that's certainly not a trial that I could take seriously or that I could say you know I believe serve the course of justice because Mm -hmm. it it goes against I mean I would very much you know believe in you know innocence of proven guilty that you have to prove things beyond reasonable doubt yeah um from watching all the crime programs and all the you know all that kind of stuff that I've watched you know, I think that protects us as a whole. It protects our, yeah. our human rights in a way. You know, Definitely. it protects our freedom. To to have a trial like that is very contrary to human rights and to our basic right to freedom, I think. I agree. You know, I, mean, I, I definitely, I don't even call what happened a trial. I just yeah. think they just wanted to pin it on somebody and that makes a lot yeah, more Yeah, they sense just wanted now. to get closure for the family, in mm-hmm. my opinion. And that's, I can't say that legally, that's my opinion that they wanted to close right. after on it for the family. Yep. You know, that's the trial in itself. That's not even taken into account that the decision that they made in that trial, which was to convict him and sentence him for 25 years. Yes. That was based on inaccurate information. So mm-hmm. take that and add that into the mix as yep. well. That yeah. it wasn't even an up-to-date file that they were working on. Right. So yeah, right. so he was, he was convicted. He was sentenced to 25 years, but Ireland refused to extradite him because again, yes. we don't recognize that form of a trial. Yep. And so Ireland felt that it would be unethical to, to extradite him on that basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so it went all the way up to the Supreme Court and it would appear that at this point, Ireland is not going to extradite him. So while he stays in Ireland, he's a free man, mm-hmm. but he can't leave the country. He cannot even, I live in Northern Ireland. So I yeah. live in the part of Ireland that belongs to the UK. 
So he would not even be able to come up to this part of Ireland because technically he's entering a different country. So he can never leave Ireland. Wow, he's a prisoner. So although he's not in a prison, he 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 hasn't his freedom. He hasn't no. the full um, extent of his freedom. So where and, and, and his family lives in the UK, correct? Or, yes. Okay. Yes, his family lives in the UK. His mother died, and he wasn't even able to go to her oh. funeral, which wow. is very sad. sad. Yeah. It is very sad. It is very sad. It's okay. that France are kind of still saying, look, you know, we've convicted him. He's guilty. We want him to go to prison. And Ireland is saying, well, we really don't want to bother reinvestigating it, but we'll, you know, we'll just let him stay the way he is now. And we'll not extradite him. So we won't make him go to prison, but we're not going to really try and help clear his name either. Public opinion is it's very powerful. People it do is. not realize. It, yeah. The power of the media and the power of public opinion can change things. It can change history. I've it seen is, it. It has changed so the face of so many cases um, with people who have been wrongfully convicted, people advocating for their freedom to, to look at the details of a case again that don't make sense. And there have been lots of people who were exonerated based on that kind of information. And so there there's a petition that people can sign. So if people agree that... There's not enough information to have convicted Ian Bailey in France and that he should, it should be dropped or reinvestigated so that he can have his freedom back. They have, there's a petition they can sign. Um, tell me a little bit yeah. about that. Okay. So we've got a petition on change.org, but um, change.org, yeah, you have to sign in all your details, like your, and they ask for donations and stuff like that. So we set up a Facebook page as well. So we kind of say, look, you can like the Facebook page if you want to give a show of support. And if you just want to keep an eye on things, but you don't want to give your support, then, you know, you can just follow the page. Mm -hmm. So there's the petition and there's the Facebook page. Now, a lot of people have kind of said, look, the support on the Facebook page is a bit questionable. It wouldn't stand up in law. But I, what I'm saying to people here is this is not a legal thing. Consider it more like a poll of public opinion that I am going to present yeah. to the Garda Commissioner. Um, because again, like I said, it is, it's it's just to put the feelers out and see what public opinion is and then to pass that on to the relevant authorities. Yeah. Um, so so what, have, what have you found? So what is the popular public opinion on this case? What 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 do the majority of people think about Ian Bailey's guilt? I or would innocence? say, honestly, what I find is 50-50. It's yeah. very polarized here and people seem to have very extreme views on both sides. So the people who, who support his innocence and who think it should be reinvestigated are really passionate about it. But the people who are on the other side of the coin and who think he did it, mm -hmm. they're also very passionate. So in all my 30 years in the business, I have to say, I have never seen a case that had such strong feeling and such such friction mm -hmm. i mean you're talking about supporters going against supporters i mean just take a look at twitter it's crazy yeah there's so much hate there and yeah. so much you know um, well there is anyway it's toxic. kind of a toxic place yes toxic exactly toxic, yeah really toxic yeah. i mean um so yeah i mean it, it was quite shocking when i took on this case i did not realize that there was so much friction and so much um you know, uh, 
polarization of people's opinion. I knew obviously there were people who thought he was guilty, but I didn't think that uh, motions were ran so high on the case. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely been a massive eye opener to me. And it's certainly been an experience that yeah. I will never forget. So, um, yeah. Elisa, what do you think about? I, I think I know what you think, but what, what, who do you think did it? Do you think you, do you have a person in mind or what do you, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I obviously don't think Ian did it. I mean, I've got to know with Ian somewhat over the, the course of talking to him to do with the petition and stuff. And I mean, the more I've got to know him, the more I'm absolutely convinced he didn't do it. I just, I, I really just don't think he has it in him to do it. Um, you know, so I'm absolutely convinced he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. But there are certain things about Ian that I can understand why people don't really like him. Um, and that's okay. You know, you don't I have to like him. Nice but, guy. Yeah. I happen to think he's a nice guy, but then, yeah. you know, I, I happen to get on with maybe people that other people wouldn't all, yeah. always get on <laughs> with. Um, but I, I definitely 100% don't think he has it in him to, to commit a murder. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. My theory on it, although I have, it has been presented to me um, from somebody else, one of these, you know, internet sleuths, you know. Oh, yeah. It has been yeah. presented to me, a very good case for it to have been that person driving the blue car, which I can't say too much about because it is still being investigated. Mm-hmm. But despite that, I... I still I'm going to stick with my original theory, which is I think was a hired execution. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That that's very um, that interesting. Was, from actually. my research in the beginning, that's what I thought. Yep. Um one of the main reasons as well that I thought that too is her husband, after she died, after she was murdered, um, her family came over to identify the body and to look after the body and bring it back to France. Her husband never came to Ireland. I know I the memorial that. Yeah. service that her family held for her didn't even go to. Right. There there now, was definitely some fishy behavior on his part, yeah. some stuff. If you that, love yeah. somebody, if you love somebody, mm-hmm. like there's no way you're not going to go with that person that you love being murdered. Yeah. 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 No I way. Know. Yeah. There was some suspicious behavior on Daniel, the husband's part after yeah. Sophie's murder. I, I read a lot about that. So there are just so many possibilities in this case. But as we know, in the true crime world, when someone gets brutally murdered, and this was seemingly a very passionate crime, there was a lot of emotion behind it. It typically is, you know, someone closest to the victim. It's very rarely random. So there's just a lot to be looked into. And um, in interviews that Ian has done, and like with Maurice, our friend Maurice from Cheap Heat Mm -hmm. Productions, and just other various interviews, he doesn't strike me as a cold-blooded murderer. That's just my first opinion of Ian. He just doesn't it, he just doesn't do it for me really in that way. I just don't, I don't know. It's my gut instinct that he's innocent. Same. So, Same. Yeah. And especially if you're even talking to him on a one-to-one basis, mm-hmm. which obviously I have been, you know, through video calls or whatever. Yeah. Um, you just kind of realize, you know, very soon into a conversation, you're just like, no, I, this yeah. guy, no, as you said, it's very just hard to believe with me that he, mm-hmm. he has that in him. And that's my own personal gut feeling, obviously, you know, yes. that's not going to start up a court. Oh, you know, oh, no, I don't but... think he did it, but yeah. you know, to me, he doesn't fit the profile of a cold blooded killer. 
Nope. I don't, I agree. I agree. But so where is he now? He is in Ireland. He cannot leave the country. He's basically stuck here. He's not in prison, but he is a prisoner if you're really being technical about it. So um, yeah, I mean, yeah. his whole life has really been ruined in essence. I mean, you know, nobody wanted to, 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 you know, to work with him way mm-hmm. back in the day, like his journalism career was over and yeah. it took him years to try and get his books published and his relationship um, with his partner um, broke up and he's you know barred or from loads of places in the in the in the area like pubs restaurants he gets refused service he gets really? refused cars wow. at him on the street and wow. like social media he's only recently joined social media there a few months ago and um facebook now is not too bad for trolling facebook have cracked down on trolling big time That's but good. twitter is like a cesspool i mean twitter it's is it's crazy in fights he gets, and toxicity and, and he, he yes. literally gets hundreds i'm not even talking about two or three comments a day or tweets you know i'm talking about he gets hundreds of hateful tweets every mm-hmm. single day um, and unfortunately up until very recently so did i so mm-hmm. um and, and anybody who comes on to say that they support him the trolls are all on them and yeah oh it's nasty really yeah. nasty stuff now i'm all for free speech i am the biggest advocate for free speech yeah but you know there's a difference between free speech and hate speech oh definitely yes you know Mm -hmm. and the stuff that's being tweeted is not you know you have a different opinion to me that's fine you think he's guilty that's fine you're entitled to do your research look into the case and have an opinion and i respect that even if it's different to mine yeah, but what isn't okay is to go on and start talking about somebody's appearance, somebody's religious beliefs, you know, no. um, right. all this kind of not has you know, nothing to do with the, the case. case. Yeah, no, no. If you can make a case for debate based on fact, then yes, shut your mouth, keep your mouth shut. Yeah. It's just an unintelligent yeah. rambling of someone who's wanting to stir up the pot basically absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And i've no time for that i've just no time for that no. at all no me neither so do you have any final words you want to say i want you to leave everyone with your you know contact info like where to find you on social media and where you know again where they can find the petition on change.org if they want to sign that well um yes i would say um if you type into facebook or even into google justice for ian bailey you're yep. probably going to to get the facebook page as a suggestion or the change.org it's up to yourself if you're happy enough to put in your all your details like your email address and your your home address and all that absolutely you can go to change.org if you want to just be more a bit more anonymous just go to the page and give it a like there's lots of little small videos and news articles on the page so people want to go down the rabbit hole a bit more than we've had a chance to go because i mean this is a massive case we've got 25 years of going on so i mean we will so much you know this is the tip of the iceberg here so i mean there's a lot more that people can go into there's lots of information videos and news links and all that on the page and um, if they want to contact me, I'm Amanda Large on Facebook. That's my real name. And my company is Elisa Rose Publicity. So both, again, are on Facebook. Um, okay. And I'm happy to talk to anybody that, um, that has any questions or wants to interact with me in an intelligent, respectful way. Um, I'm happy to talk to people. Um, I'm also on Twitter, Elisa Rose Ireland. And 
Instagram too. So yeah, on all social media platforms. Yeah. Great. And then don't forget my YouTube where it all started. Yes. Which is Elisa Rose. Um and it's it's a variety of content there. So I mean go on yes. and have a look through and definitely you know, check give that me out. A solve if you like it. <laughs> Very entertaining, all sorts of stuff on your YouTube. All sorts of stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You've got stuff like um about you know the titanic conspiracy and you've got stuff about medical conditions and you've got crimes that shot down and you've got about um, how i met eminem and you've got like all these kind of different stories from my yep. life that are kind of yeah. made into videos you know so everyone check that out now do you go by amanda or elisa or both my actual name is amanda large um, and okay. so elisa rose is kind of my stage name yeah um, yeah because i just kind of want to separate the two in a way yep. and i do have two very different parts of my personality so when I'm Elisa Rose I'm all like you know like I am now and yeah. when I'm Amanda because I am autistic you see so Amanda okay. is actually a lot quieter and Amanda is like a lot more of an introvert and that's how I can understand the introvert extrovert because I'm trying to keep my private life yeah. a bit more private by kind of going with Elisa Rose yeah. um, and that's the name of my company so yeah that yeah. works that's <laughs> great thank you so much for coming on my show I it was just a joy a pleasure having you this case is man, so many rabbit holes. It's so interesting. Um, there are two documentaries out right now. There is Sophie, a murder in West Cork that's on Netflix. And then the other one is on the sky network. I believe. Do you, what is the yeah. name of that one? And that's called murder at the cottage. I would suggest going with that one first and then maybe yeah, and certainly know. keep an eye out for when it's coming out in America because it yeah. will be coming out. So, I mean, just keep an eye out on it. I'm sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Brilliant. Again, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Have a good weekend. We'll see you soon. Yeah. True Crime IRL is written, produced, and hosted by Kelly Barron's Brink. We are part of That's Not Canon Network and TNC Productions in Brisbane, Australia. For more information, go to truecrimeirl.com. True Crime IRL theme music is produced by the captain at True Crime Garage. Thank you.